Hello and welcome to the All Plane Podcast, where we explore different aspects of the aviation industry in the company of professionals. As always, I start with a reminder that you can find these and other preceding episodes of the All Plane Podcast, as well as many other interesting stories about airlines and commercial aviation, on our website, allplane.tv. I repeat, this is A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today's guest is Rob Seravolo, the founder and CEO of Tropic Ocean Airways. Rob's story sounds to me like the quintessential all-American journey, from a Top Gun US Navy pilot flying F-14s out of an aircraft carrier to becoming a successful entrepreneur. After leaving the Navy, Rob invested literally everything he had in the creation of a new airline in Florida that is called Tropic Ocean Airways. What's special about it? It's a seaplane-only airline. Tropic Ocean Airways currently operates a fleet of 13 Cessna amphibious aircraft from bases in Fort Lauderdale, San Juan, and Antigua. And it also provides seasonal services between New York and the Hamptons. Last year, it carried more than 45,000 people, almost a third of them on regular flights. We could say that Rob is a sort of seaplane evangelist. You will see what this means when you hear him talking about seaplanes. Because in this episode, we not only talk about Tropic Ocean Airways and Rob's entrepreneurial journey, but also, and more generally, about the pros and cons of seaplanes and the role they can play in the future of the aviation industry. But perhaps best is that, without further ado, we metaphorically take a dip into the water and welcome our guest today. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good. How are you, Mikhail? Very well. So you are joining us from South Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, I'm in Fort great. Lauderdale. Yeah. So that's where your airline is based. We're going to explain a little bit more about um, the airline you founded and you manage, which is called Tropic Ocean Airways. And it's based in uh, near Fort Lauderdale, right? Yeah. We're actually based at the uh, Fort Lauderdale International Airport, the main okay. airport there in Fort Lauderdale. And we also have a co-base in Miami. The Miami okay. Seaplane Base, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to tell the audience that actually a little bit about the context where we met. We were both speaking at a conference in, in the Caribbean, in the uh, beautiful island of St. Martin. Uh, we were uh, hosted by uh, a friend of us called uh, Bat Slabart that organizes the Caribbean uh, Conference, uh, also uh, known the, the Caribbean Aviation Summit. And I remember very well your presentation because I mean, it was really an amazing delivery, and you told us about your airline, of course, but also about your previous life as a, as a fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy, about the sort of uh, things that you learn in the military that help you perhaps become a better entrepreneur and, and, uh, and a successful uh, manager later on. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and as I was saying, your experience in the Navy and, and how you started the Tropic Ocean Airways? Yeah, yeah, thanks. And by the way, that, that was, you know, it's such a great conference and it was sad to see it, you know, obviously could cancel this year. So I'm looking forward to heading back to St. Martin next year, as I'm sure we all are. So, yes. um, yeah, so, yeah, so I started the company in 2009 when I was actually in the Navy. So my background, I was actually uh, a Navy fighter pilot. I flew the um, F-14 Tomcat, deployed on that with a jet twice. Um, we retired that jet in 2006. If you're familiar, obviously, with the movie Top Gun, you probably heard of it, you know, with Tom Cruise. Of course, um, yeah. That's, yeah, the F-14 is, is, you know, one of the sexiest, you know, jet fighters that, you know, in history. 
and it's a legendary airplane. And, and I was very fortunate to fly it. In fact, it was my, that was my dream plane when I was growing up. So when I selected jets at a Navy flight school, they, they said, Hey, put your top three choices of aircraft. And I wrote F-14 three times because <laughs> I really wanted to fly that thing. So, so we retired that jet in 2006. I transitioned to the F-18 Super Hornet, which was um, something else. The F-14 was a, you know, kind of an archaic platform, you know, older technology, whereas the Super Hornet was all, all brand new. The, the airplanes that my squadron had were, they still had the new car smell. They were straight from the factory. Um, just an amazing, amazing piece of machinery you know, a better, a better airplane in term in terms of systems, but the F-14 was just a hell of a lot more fun to fly, right? <laughs> from yeah, a pilot's yeah. perspective. Yeah. And then, and then from there, I transitioned to the, um, the F-5, which is the Tiger II. Um, we use it to simulate um, adversaries. So we simulate the MiG-21, the F-5. Yeah, and I... Rather old airplane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those airplanes are older than I am. And um, so you go from, you know, flying the F-18, which is, you know, quadruple computer systems and, and everything else to this old F5 where you're going back to hand flying and, and, you know, teaching dogfighting is what I did. So I, I was an air combat instructor, went through Top Gun in 2009, actually, which is a dream of mine, graduated Top Gun, and I would teach air combat and flying that airplane was, you know, hand flying. It, it was back to, you know, the old days of flying where you really had a feel, you would feel the aircraft buffet, you know, in your hand and you'd feel it in the seat of your pants. The seat of the pants yeah. flying was, it was a lot of fun, but around that time, I had, I had really started thinking about, you know, my career and um, at 10 years in the Navy, you have a choice. You know, you could sign on for another four years. So you have to give them a minimum 10 years of as a pilot, or you could get out, you know, and most guys and girls will stay in another four years, you know, get a nice bonus. And then at that point, they may get to go to the airlines or they'll stay to retirement. I decided to get out the 10 year mark. And start a company, which was something I've, I've dreamed about since I was a kid. I always wanted to get involved in aviation. So I was living, I was actually stationed in Key West, Florida. And, and you know, I had this passion for seaplanes growing up. And the idea of being, you know, around the water and being up in airplanes, by the way, it's the reason I joined the Navy and not the Air Force, because I could fly off ships, right? Yeah. Um, and combining the two with seaplanes, you know, it's just such a beautiful beautiful machine the seaplane is and, and it really brings you back to that you know romance of flying and things like that so i had this passion for it so i started the company down there this little little 4c206 i'd gotten out of the navy became a navy reservist it took us about a year and a half to get the company up and running and get certified and at that time um i had sold everything i had i hired my first employee who's now our coo of the company nick veltry who's just a phenomenal seaplane pilot um and nick and i you know launched this company on very little money. I rode a bicycle to work because I sold my car to try to pay for parts on the airplane. Um, I really sold everything I had, my house, everything else. And we had this little, yeah, we had this little four-seat airplane and we launched in 2011, took about a year and a half to get certified. And we had this one airplane, we moved to Fort Lauderdale and we really started flying between Fort Lauderdale and the Bahamas. Uh -huh. And, and it's, an, it's an amphibious airplane, right? So it, we'd launch out of Fort Lauderdale International, take people over to Bimini, which is a close island. We'd take people to different places. And, um, you know, we didn't really have much. Can I say one I, second here? You mentioned yeah, absolutely. an amphibious airplane. Is it different from a seaplane or they are synonymous? Yeah. Yeah. We like to draw the distinction, right? So a seaplane is a float plane, right? So okay. we operate seaplanes that are amphibious, meaning the, the wheels come out of the floats. Mm -hmm. So you can fly, you know, think about, you know, the, the versatility of this thing, right? Water to water, land to water, water to land, whatever. So and, and that to me, you know, people have asked me, like, why don't you fly straight float seaplanes? It's, it's cheaper to operate. You know, you, you actually have much bigger margins on float planes than you do in the amphib world. 
because of maintenance. And honestly, we just, where we fly in the places where we fly, we like to have that, I say that the variability of, of, of operation, you know, really opens up the market for us and, and gives us also a level of safety where, Hey, if I can't get into a location because the weather's bad you know, or the sea state's up, I'm not going to push it. I'm going to go yeah. to the nearest airport, right. And take you there instead. The so the seaplane, really, the seaplane, a pure seaplane has to stay in the water all the time. And that's correct. An amphibious yeah. plane can alternate between the water, uh, but it can also land on, on, on a normal runway. Yep, that is okay. correct. Okay. Yeah, and, and from a maintenance perspective, we we get the airplanes out of the water at night too, so they're not they're not floating at night, right? In the in the uh -huh. salt water, so we take them out of the water. They're on land, right? And we wash them down and everything else. So the amphib to us is just a. Uh, it's the solution, I think, to a lot of airlift problems where we operate in. Mm -hmm. But sorry, yeah. I, I, inter I interrupted you when you were about to explain your, your first operation. So you, you, you launched with flights from Fort Lauderdale to, to Bimini in, in the Bahamas. And, and then you, you grew the company from there, I guess. Yeah, exactly. We actually, it's kind of neat. We, we were the first. So if you're familiar with the history of seaplanes in South Florida, there's a company called Chops, which you know, had a fatal crash, unfortunately, in 2005. And South Florida and the Bahamas had not seen seaplanes since. There was no operation out of the you know Miami seaplane base where we fly out of, which is a really cool, iconic place in in downtown Miami, right? Where the if you remember the old you know, old TV show Miami Vice, you know there's yeah. always this, this I, I, I've been out. in I've been in Miami and I have actually have family living there, but it's been like a long time I haven't been yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, but I remember I remember a little bit the place. Um, so then that was which year? Uh, how long was it? So uh, that's 2011. So we, we brought commercial seaplane service back between Florida and Miami okay. or, or Florida rather the Bahamas in 2011. After a six year hiatus between six year hiatus. Exactly. Uh, yep. Then, okay. And then from there, we, we, you know, we, tr we grew, we grew very organically initially. We, um, you know, we, we, people thought we had a fleet of these things. So that would take the one seaplane. I'd fly it everywhere at a huge loss. And mm -hmm. we were like, how many, how many 206s do you have? I'm like, I've got a bunch, you know, and we only had one, but you know, that, that drew the uh, interest of um, a couple of partners. So we had a, brought in a couple of investors in 2014. We worked closely with Whip Air who makes the floats and Textron, which makes the aircraft to, to upgrade to the new Caravan EX, which is the factory new airplane that's four feet longer and bigger and, you know, and, and mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, just an amazing amphibious aircraft. And we, we added the EX and, and, um, and basically brought our entire fleet up to EXs. And we grew between 2014 and 2019, right? 2020, I think COVID is, is obviously an impact, but pre-COVID levels, we went from one two oh six to, you know, 13 aircraft, you know, 12 of which are Caravan EX aircraft, um, 10 of which are on floats, you know, in 20, at the beginning of 2020, we went from two employees to 107 employees. We went from one location to, we fly into eight, in eight different countries. We were based in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, as you know, we're also based up in New York seasonally. So we have aircraft up in New York that fly out to the Hamptons out of the city. We have a base in Puerto Rico and San Juan, and we have a base down in Antigua. And we're launching additional uh, bases actually coming into 2021. So, so we grew pretty rapidly, you know, and, and we did it, which I'm very proud of. We did it while maintaining quality. So if you go to, you know, our Facebook page, for example, in 2019, we flew 45,000 people and TripAdvisor and Facebook, we, we still maintain five-star reviews. How many both. people, how many people fit in your planes? Eight, uh -huh. eight. Yeah, and the seaplane. So, uh, and what's your profile of, of passenger? Is it um, leisure passengers? I guess most of them. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's yeah. So it's mostly leisure, right? I mean, if you look at the New York market, 
you get the business traveler who spends the weekends in the Hamptons, right? Yeah. And you get and you get some level of business where we are in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, but most of it is leisure, right? And in our customer profile, you know, I like to say that if you think of like a bell curve, right? On the low end, you've got the $250 seat that we sell by the seat. We do have some scheduled service, right? From Fort Lauderdale to Bimini. On the high end, you've got, you know, the family that charters a $150,000 yacht, right? For the week. And we fly them direct to the yacht and maybe, you know, and that's, that's the high end. And then you have like that big bell curve in the middle, which is what we call like the mass affluence, right? The, the middle class, upper middle class that, that goes on vacation, charters the airplane with their family, you know, and spends, spends four or five days in the Bahamas or, mm-hmm. or elsewhere, a resort in a BBI. And how much do your uh, tickets cost on average? Um, for example, like I, let's say I'm going on a high season, just uh, midweek, one single yeah. ticket. Yeah, so, so we have, obviously we sell, so about 30% of our business is scheduled service, I meaning you could buy a ticket, right? So uh-huh. if you want to go to, to Bimini, it's 250 one way, 500 round trip, right? So it, it's a set fare, it's 250, it's a standard fare? Right, uh, correct, okay. correct. For one, one we, way from-, from one, uh, what, yeah, one way. Okay. And then we have the and then we have the charter market, right? Okay. And the charter it varies on where you go. We charge by the hour based on the region we're in, you know. So mm-hmm. and, and and that varies, right? So a flight from Puerto Rico to the BBI might be around thirty five hundred for eight people, and that's mm-hmm. an aircraft charter. Yep. And all your bases do um, regular flights, so that's only from Florida to Bahamas. Also, no, in, no, in Puerto Rico and, and Antigua, you said you also have a base. You also yeah, but we're services. right now we're charter only because we had just okay. launched that at the end of last year. Yeah, and and we're we're going to grow into scheduled service in different regions. Right now, the I mean, the way we enter a region usually is by, is by charter. They've yeah. got to build a build a demand base essentially, and then we will bring in scheduled service as the demand increases. Mm-hmm. And in New York, mm-hmm. is it a summer service? I guess. Uh, yeah, it- summer. We're up there between May and September. Mm-hmm. usually and predominantly up there in partnership with blade um obviously COVID is a little bit different but normally we go up there you know we fly for a, a company called blade which is an app yeah. they're broken and they have what i think two we're one or two now seaplane operators that utilize the largest yeah i i knew about blade um they they are pretty strong in in helicopters is it right uh, yeah, so they started in helicopters and they got into the seaplane business because, you know, uh, you can always operate a seaplane. So taking a step back, right? If you think about the places that, that we, Tropic, operate in, we look for regions that struggle with airlift. So maybe it's an archipelago like the Bahamas where yep. you don't have a runway everywhere. Or maybe it's an urban area like, like New York City, right? Mm-hmm. So a helicopter is a great solution to these hard-to-reach places but it's an expensive solution, yeah. right? You can always, the seaplanes like that middle of the road, it's, it's obviously more expensive to operate than a land aircraft, but it's more versatile than a land aircraft. It's not as versatile as, as a helicopter, but it's much less money to operate in terms of cost. And you could carry more people with more weight at a faster speed. Mm-hmm. So your cost for miles obviously seems to be lower. So the seaplane is a great alternative to the helicopter in a lot of locations. So would you say helicopters are your main competitor or what, what, are, what are your other competitors? I guess in the Hamptons, you're competing with land transport. You're competing with helicopters for, for the kind of- Yeah, helicopter. correct. So you've got, the hel- yeah, you've got the helicopters, you've got the land transport. So land transport is obviously the cheapest, right? Yeah. And it takes three and a half hours on a Friday. The helicopters are the most, most expensive 
And if you have more than four people and you have a lot of bags, you're not going to do it. So, so again, I think the seaplane is like that middle of the road. It's, it's at the right price point, mm -hmm. the right speed and a great capability. It's a 35 minute flight and you could take eight people in all of their bags. Yeah. And what right. about, what about the Caribbean? Are you competing there with uh, uh, the traditional, well, the regular airlines uh, or you are not really competing because you are maybe going, um, you're doing routes that are not really doable with a large. Correct. Yeah. So we don't, we don't like to, we don't like to enter markets where you're competing with like Delta. Right. So yeah. that's just not, or, or even Cape Air, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. So we like to look at areas that are again, difficult to get to. Um, and we, we find a great solution for airlift and we put it in there and, and we find the right price point, which makes sense for whoever we're going to partner with down there. And so, you know, a, a great example is the BVI, right? So if you want to go to a place called Oil Nut Bay, which is in Virgin Gorda in yeah. the British hey, Virgin Islands. I must say here, just, just to parenthesis here, it's uh, the BVI is the, is the, the British Virgin Islands, right? Yep. Yep, yep. Correct. Yeah. Just yeah. For, for people that aren't yeah. familiar with the, <laughs> with the Caribbean no, no problem. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. So, so if you're trying to go to the, you know, Orla Bay, right, which yeah. is a nice resort there in Virgin Gorda in the British Virgin Islands, you know, you're, you'll fly, you'll connect through San Juan. If you're coming from the U S if you're coming from Europe, you'll probably connect, you'll connect most likely in the Tigre St. Martin. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just say you're coming from the U S so you connect in San Juan, you fly commercial to San Juan, you get a two or three hour connection and you fly, you know, like Cape Air, for example, 402, which will take you into um, Roadtown or Tortola, which is the main island in the British Virgin Islands. Yeah. From there, you know, you take a taxi to a ferry and then you take a ferry over to North Sound and then you take another taxi over to, you know, where you're going, right? Yeah. Well, what we do is we just, we pick you up in San Juan and we fly you direct to the resort. Yeah. So we'll shave off about three or four hours of travel, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's really, that's our value proposition. It's, it's the fact that we'll get you there a lot quicker. It's usually a better experience. You know, our airplanes are factory new, as I met, mentioned, you know, we are IFR capable, which means we're all weather capable. We have very, you know, we're very big on customer service. So the overall experience is better, but really what you're, what you're getting is you're getting time. So if you're yeah. going somewhere on vacation, you know, to get three hour, four hours back of your first day on vacation, it's a big, it's a big deal. And yeah. you arrive and you just have a better experience. Yeah. And the experience is awesome. I remember I, I tried one of your planes in, in St. Martin. We flew to um, San Anastasius, I think. So one of the nearby islands. Uh, it was really cool. To, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. The, we, uh, we didn't land on the water, but, but it was still like, really, really an amazing experience. So, um, yeah, it, it, it really sounds like you provide lots of value these, in these markets where you, where you fly to. And... Uh, tell me about the uh, what are the advantages and and also the disadvantages of of flying um, a fleet of, of seaplanes, not just from the uh, from the passenger point of view, but also from an operational point of view, uh, because I think the, the history of commercial aviation started with seaplanes, pretty much. I mean, you look yeah. at the at the pioneers, the, the Pan American, and all these guys flying the across the ocean. They they were all flying seaplanes. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, at some point they um, they fell out of favor. Actually, there's a there's a book I recommend, which is the biography of uh, Juan uh, Tripa, Juan Tripa. I don't know how you how you Juan Tripa. Yeah, okay. Trip. Yeah, yep. that's a really yep. really interesting book about yeah, yeah. The, the the beginnings of Pan American and uh, such I would, an amazing I, story. Yeah, yeah, I would I would I will add a link in the in the show notes. But um, just going back to the to the topic, why seaplanes at some point they fell out of favor and they kind of. Uh, became confined to very niche markets, places like um, Alaska, the Caribbean, the Maldives, yeah. like that. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, the I mean, look, I mean, the the as aviation moved towards that longer range, higher altitude, higher speed, you know, it's really you can't really, um, I would say, integrate seaplane operations into the jet, right, into the jet world. You just cannot, right? So seaplanes still could have been a viable option for shorter range. But the aviation industry kind of went towards let's build more runways. So if you look at the Bahamas, there's runways all over the place, right? Yeah. And the reason is because, you know, seaplanes are extremely high, you know, high cost to maintain. There's at the time, you know, seaplanes had a, there's higher risk associated, not even at the time, even now, there's higher risk associated with seaplane operations, right? right? So, you know, you, why? Well, well, number one, obviously maintenance. So if you're not taking good care of the airplanes, I mean, look at what happened to shocks, right? We mm -hmm. came off, there's corrosion's a big deal. Um, it's a very dynamic environment. So landing on a runway and a crosswind, you know, you've done that a million times, right? Every time you touch down in the water, it's a different landing. The sea state might be different. There might be debris in the water. There might be boat traffic. There might be, there might be a freaking alligator in your way, which happened up in central Florida, you know, there's, and, and sea states and winds and everything else. So it's a very, very dynamic environment. So it really became regulated to just the, to your point, the niche markets, the bush pilots, the, you know, and stuff like that. When we came into the, when you came in, in 2011 into the market, um, it was still very niche, you know, and, and I'm going to, I'm not going to say, you know, Maldi Maldives is different. Maldives standardized the big airline, right? And then you've got Kenmore, which is Seattle, which has been doing yes. it for a long time. Those are you the know, guys, sorry, those yeah. are the guys that uh, try the electric seaplane? Oh, actually, no, Harbor Air did. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll yeah. tell you a story about that because okay. I, I'm a big yeah. believer in this, you know. Actually, that's, but, that's a topic I want to, I want to uh, touch later. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I yeah. love, I actually went and visited that airplane. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, so, so ahead, when yeah. we came in in 2011, uh, especially in the markets where we were, right, so New York City, um, the Bahamas, and, you know, everybody said, look, you know, seaplanes are really dangerous and it's really challenging and you have to find these there's only like a few pilots around that can really fly seaplanes safely. I was literally told this all the time. And I said, why is that? Oh, there's only a few pilots that know how to land in New York City. I said, why? why? And I said, look, my background, you know, I flew off of aircraft carriers. Imagine, think about the most challenging thing in aviation. It's space flight, okay? The second most challenging thing is flying off of aircraft carriers. It is. And yet we do it safely day in and day out. Why? Because we train and develop. So I said, why can't we create a training and development program to create a more, more seaplane pilots and a better seaplane pilot. So, so we did that and it was very unpopular in the industry at the time. You know, I got called a lot of names on social media. It's, it's actually hilarious. You know, most of those things have been deleted. Um, but I, I said, because I was upsetting the apple cart. Okay. I was, I was, I was upsetting the apple cart when people said, if, you know, imagine if you are one of the five, seaplane pilots that everybody said you're oh, you're the only person who knows how to do this and i came in and said i can make 10 of you through good training you know it, it upset some people right but the majority of people you know felt you know understood it and appreciated it if you remember this the the, the speech i gave down in st martin it was actually about professionalizing and standardization yes. right yeah so yes, yes. And, and that's what we did so we took this this high risk there's only five people know how to do a thing and standardized it and scaled it yeah. And we created a training program and yeah. we developed pilots from the ground up. Yeah, I still and remember you, you mentioned that, that uh, anecdote about you are told how exactly you should pick up your bottle of water when you are flying, right? Because then you need to think about the <laughs> so Yeah, you, you don't think about the small things and you just focus on the fact that maybe the sea state's a little different, you know? And, and the idea that everybody flies the airplane different, well, there's a right way and a wrong way, you know? And, and 
you know, you cannot standardize everything. You cannot train to every scenario. So you try to, you try to train to 50, 60% of the scenarios. So you can focus on the things that are dynamic is in seaplane, seaplane flying is extremely dynamic. So, you know, we've proven, like I said, we flew 6,000 flights last year without incident in New York city. We, we, we landed the first kind of neat, neat anecdote. We landed the first seaplane in Cuban waters in 60 years. Wow. We landed the first seaplane in Roadtown Harbor in the BBI since the 1980s. You know, we, we have all of these firsts because we were able to really take that, you know, quote unquote, high risk endeavor and mitigate the risk through good training and good pilot development. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, and then you move into the maintenance piece. And, and you mentioned earlier, it's, it's, if you're not taking care of these airplanes, they corrode, which is a dangerous B high cost. So we created a maintenance program. I remember when we first started, Nick and I were, you know, it was just the two of us and we had, we, we took five glasses of salt water with dissimilar metal and we had different products we were testing in these glasses of salt water to see which product we were going to settle on. And we settled on a few products. And to this day, I mean, we operate these, these airplanes day in and day out in salt water and they look fantastic. We just did three hot sections, which is where you do the you know inspections on the interior of the engines. Uh-huh. And the engine manufacturer came back and said, you know, your engines are cleaner than some of the land aircraft we see. Mm-hmm. So to give you an idea of how we have such a great maintenance team it's led by a guy by the name of Steve Lopez. He runs an amazing maintenance team. They guys work day and night on these airplanes and they do such a good job. So the, the difference between different types of salt water is because of the, the salt content in the water or the no, no. chemical composition? So, uh, no, no. So we, we did this experiment where we had five glasses of, of the same salt water, but we tested different um, corrosion proofing products. So we had basically a nut and a bolt. We had a control, which is just salt, right? Salt water. And the second one was, you know, one product. And we basically had five, four different products plus the one control. And we tested which one would prevent corrosion the best, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's how we settled on certain products. We, we took some, you know, I, I owned a boat a long time ago. So I took some, you know, lessons learned from running a boat and we started using a product called salt away and, and all this other stuff. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's more work than, uh, you know, operating a land aircraft, but through good maintenance practices, it's, it, it reduces the risk and it brings the cost down as well. Long term. Yeah. I remember talking with some of the pilots there in St. Martin and they told me, I don't remember the exact number, but that for each hour that the plane, oh, sorry, not each hour, but each time the plane touches water, like seawater, um, you need to do, I don't remember how many hours of maintenance and cleaning just to make sure. Yeah. That, yeah, it's yeah. about, yeah, it's about two labor hours. So, so it's funny, no matter if the airplane flies all day long, yeah. right? Or if it literally just takes off, touches the salt water for a second, comes back, yeah. you got to do about two hours of labor. You know, so, so obviously, yeah. you know, you want to fly the airplane more during the day if you can yeah. um, to bring the hourly cost down. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but, you know, we wash the engine, we wash the aircraft. Um, again, the guys and girls in, in our main department, they just just a fantastic job mm-hmm. keeping the airplane flying. And yeah, so overall, I think, you, you know, back to the, the question, I think yeah. now you'll, you're starting to see around the world, like seaplanes and amphibious operations are being embraced as an answer. Yeah. Right. Whereas 10 years ago, it wasn't right. So, and, and, and I like to think that we helped drive that narrative a little bit where the, you know, if you're in the, if you're the Bahamas or you're the British Virgin Islands or some other area that has, a, you know, challenging airlift problems, right. It spent, you could spend 30 to 150 million to build an airport, mm-hmm. or you could let an operator come in and pull up to a dock and you've just created airlift. Yes. You've, you've solved the problem with no money out of the government's pocket. Yes, actually, yeah. I was thinking about 
this the other day because I was checking where in the world the um, seaplanes and amphibious planes are, are, are common. And it's not so many places. You have uh, places like Alaska, the Pacific Northwest, um, the Caribbean, of course, where you're based. Then places like the Maldives and, and some, some resort islands in, in the tropics. And in Europe, I um, finally I realized there's some places in Europe where they are used. In Denmark, there's a, an airline mm-hmm. I think flies between the Danish continental um, part, the, the continental part of Denmark and Copenhagen, which is in an island. And I think there were a couple of attempts to to build airlines in Croatia that has many islands and, and yeah. coastal resorts, and in Greece as well. I think in the Mediterranean, it hasn't really. It hasn't really um, consolidated. It, I don't know what, what could be the reasons because it, it, to me, it looks like an ideal place to run this type of operation, but it, it hasn't happened yet. Oh, Norway, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it, unfortunately, is, is due to red tape. So there's a lot of areas that have tried and um, it just because it's just such a new thing to certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the regulators tend to think it's like, you know, going to be dangerous. It's going to, how are you going to do this? How are you going to land in, in, you know, in the, in the ocean next to boats? It becomes like, I've gone through this a million times and we, we really have to spend a lot of time demonstrating, you know, showing them how we do risk assessments, showing them how we assess the risk. And, and it's, it's almost like a partnership with the government to get this thing going. It really is. And, and you, yeah, because if, if you're going to bring a C, an amphibious operation into a place that hasn't had amphibious operations or seaplanes in years or never has it, you know, any government official who signs off on that, I mean, it's, I hate to use the term, it's their ass, but it's their ass if they, you know, sign off on, on an operation that could potentially be dangerous. So yeah. it, it, there is a lot of red tape involved, I think, in getting it off the ground. Yeah, I guess it's a bit off the rudder for many people. And I guess they have this image of seaplanes as something that they see in the like 1930s and 1940s. So <laughs> when they see yeah. that plane <laughs> with um, the propellers and all that, they say, wow, yeah. they, they put me so, in a vintage 1940s airplane, which is not really. Yeah, I, I always joke about that when I walk into a meeting the first time, and I say, "Look, I said, let me guess. Your image of a seaplane is you show up. There's a guy with a beard wearing shorts with a can of oil in his back pocket." I said, yeah. "That's your view." Like, yeah, that's exactly. And 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 I said, "Well, look, let me let me demonstrate. You know, we're like Delta Airlines that lands in the water, and mm-hmm. here's how we or anybody else can do it safely and effectively in your backyard. You know, so it really is trying to trying to change the perception." Mm-hmm. of seaplanes yeah and it's you know it's a challenge you know i mean and not every operator you know or not every seaplane pilot or not every person who's going to operate seaplanes operates to certain you know a certain standard which i think you know we, we all should kind of standardize to a certain level of operation in order to you know bring it bring the beauty of seaplanes what it is to new locations and do it safely mm-hmm. and also um you cannot you cannot land. Well, I don't know if that's the right word. You say it land or what's the right word for? No, you can land. Yeah, you can yeah, land in the water. You cannot, so, land in, yeah. any, you cannot land on any water, right? I mean, you need right. to you need to have a like a, um, a secluded place. Uh, yep. Pool yeah, but we say protected water. Yeah, you, you so need what, a certain sea state. What, you know? what what sort of conditions are there uh, are necessary for your plane to land? You need to have like a, some port, some enclosure. Well, I mean, we, we've landed, we can land in open water provided the sea state's low, right? Mm-hmm. So you look to no more than a foot and a half of sea state. Um, when we're looking at areas that we want to do regular service in, we usually find a primary and a secondary location. So primary being the, you know, 80% of the time with prevailing winds, this area is doable, right? And then you always have a secondary backup. And there's, 
and to be honest, there's some areas that, you know, we've gone in and they said, can you land a seaplane here? We said, no, we, we could probably do it 40% of the time. And I don't want to promise customers something I can only deliver 40% of the time. Right. Yeah. So there's some areas that you just won't be able to get into, but normally we look for protected water. You look for some sort of a, you know, a, a, a clear path to landing and taking off, right. You don't want to land, take off in front of a mountain or, or a phone tower or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you would when you're looking to build an airport, it's kind of the same concept, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you know? how, how do people um, find you? I mean, are you on the main um, booking engines? Are you, uh, do you have agreements with um, mainstream airlines to connect with your flights? Um, because, uh, you know, if I was going, I'm, I'm just thinking, if I was going now to the Caribbean, um, obviously now I know you are there, but if I was just like, a, you know, like first time I go there, I, it possibly wouldn't cross my mind that there's a seaplane service. So um, how do you do your distribution? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You have other uh, channels that you can sell your tickets to the, to the broader audience? Yeah, I mean, we work a lot with resorts. You know, the resorts actually um, promote us uh, in different areas. We just started, so, so we're on a certain um, platform, a booking platform, which doesn't have GDS capability. Unfortunately, but it is now on kayak. But again, you know, keep in mind that scheduled service is a small part of what we do. Mm-hmm. So most of what we do, I think, is through, you know, direct marketing, digital marketing, word of mouth and referral service through the resorts. You work with broker, brokers as well for the chartering? We do. Yep. We work with brokers. Okay. No. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been growing this company um, quite amazingly the last few years. So uh, that kind of proves that uh, people, once they, they try it and they're comfortable with it, they, they are fine with seaplanes. What future do you see for, for your segment of the industry as a whole? Uh, do you think that um, it's going to keep growing? Uh, obviously, now we have the, the pandemic thing, which is kind of yeah. unusual. But um, if we look beyond that, let's assume that the yep. is found for, for the pandemic in the next few months or maybe even next couple of years. Um, and, and things go back to normal. Um, how do you see the seaplane industry evolving from here? Yeah, I, um, it's a good question. You know, and I, I look at I look at the pandemic as a as a road uh, uh, as a bump in the road, if you will. Right? Mm-hmm. I, it's, it is. We will we will all get past this. It's tough on the industry. It's tough on all of our industries, right? In terms of travel, um, but I, I know we'll get past this. So so past past um, the COVID impact. I think I think seaplanes will, will be more embraced around the world. I mean, we're working with a company uh, in Thailand right now called Siam Seaplanes, and it's a great group of, of guys and girls that we're working with on on helping them develop the operation, getting you know approved by the government. There, um, we're talking to you know uh, companies in multiple locations around the world, and I think if you look at anywhere around the world where um, you name some places too, right? But anywhere around the world where you have um, either congestion or remote areas like an archipelago, right? That has a, you know, a lack of transportation and a body of way, a body of water nearby, you could bring amphibious service in you know, to create that route. Um, so I do see the, and again, as long as it's done correctly, it's done with the right, right piece of equipment, right? Because some people sometimes bring the wrong, they bring the wrong seaplane to the party. Um, if it's done properly in terms of how to scale the business with training and operations and stuff like that, I think you can expand amphibious operations around the globe, you know, and solve a lot of the transportation problems with these airplanes. Uh, what about uh, rivers and, and lakes? Are they very oh, yeah. different from, from, uh, not, from operating not in really. the sea? 
Yeah, not really. In fact, it's better because it's less corrosion. <laughs> you yeah, know? of course. So yeah, about, so in fact, about reverse. I mean, I guess that, that if there's a strong current, that can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, but we have we have pretty strong current too in some of the locations and some of the harbors we operate in. I think current, it, just like anything else, the, the the training that goes into creating a seaplane pilot, a lot of it is marine focused. Mm-hmm. How to how to operate on the water, right? Yeah. Because on the water, we're a boat essentially. So you're dealing with the winds, you're dealling with the currents, yeah. you're pulling up the docks, all those things, and and that's a part of the training. So you know we've operated in two three knot currents. Um, one of our pilots, one of our, actually one of our senior captain came from the Amazon. He used to fly missionaries on the Amazon years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, you, the 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 river is is just another landing area for us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about the what we were mentioning earlier about the electric planes? Uh, because actually, the first, the very first commercial flight on an electric plane, as far as I know, was this seaplane. Uh, I think it was yeah. in in Canada, right near Vancouver. Yeah. Um, yeah. It so was, Harbor it, Air. Yeah, Harbor you, Air. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned you you've been involved in in this project. You've been following up closely. Yeah, we we know the Harbor Air folks very well. And in fact, I went up and, and saw that airplane after they flew. Um, it was a it was a Beaver. Right. Um, there's basically a flying battery. The entire fuselage was a battery. So uh, Greg McDougall, who's the founder of the company, actually did the flight. And Harbor Air is one of the few companies out there. I mentioned Kenmore, you know, as well, for example, that are just been around for a very long time and just have been doing they've been flying seaplanes year for years and they do it really well. You know, it's a very, very great company up there. They've expanded rapidly up there, obviously pre-COVID. Um, and they, you know, and they pushed the, the idea of an electric aircraft. And I think they're very forward thinking. So they flew this flight and it wasn't really a commercial flight, right? Because there's nobody paid for it. So it's essentially just a pilot on board because it's a flying battery, but they proved that it can be done. And if you, right now we don't have the technology, but we will, I think in three to four years to fly airplanes on shorter routes. Right. And by the way, I mean, for seaplanes, it's it's just, it's such a, a unique idea because you know, being being in a seaplane, for example, if you have the battery um, that can actually maintain a charge for long enough to do a route without having to pick up fuel, you know, that that saves weight if they could get the weight of the batteries down. I mean, there's so many opportunities as the technology advances. Right now, we don't have it. There's no way you can get the weight down to a reasonable level. But eventually, I think, you know, as the batteries get smaller and more efficient, you know, we'll see that opportunity someday. And I think someday is going to be in the next four to five years. And it would be more economic, I guess. Um, you yeah. uh, is it fuel a big big part of expenses? Uh, yeah, you know? fuel is a big part of expense, but obviously, you know, the the you know a combustion engine or a turbine engine has a high cost associated with it. Whereas, you know, the electric you know the electric engine tends to be a little bit lower cost, right? So yeah, and, but we will and also see. The, yeah, you know, the range. I mean, you just look at Tesla. Yeah, range seems yeah. to be like sweet spot. I mean, the the type of routes that you fly. Um, are actually the ones that seem more feasible uh, for for the type of batteries that you have now in yeah. development. So I think this um, Harbor Air, I think they fly from Seattle or near Seattle to Vancouver or something like so that. So they did the Seattle-Vancouver run, yeah. and they also fly, you know, obviously from Vancouver to other locations in British Columbia and, and, in, and in Canada. And they fly downtown to downtown, so that, yep. that's another advantage. Yeah, correct. They partnered with Kenmore, so yeah. they share that route with Kenmore. Yeah, yeah, so that you have, you not only have the, the this type of, of range where it's maybe too too short 
to make it to be feasible for a, for a larger airplane, but still too too long to drive. So yeah. in addition to that, they they take you downtown to downtown. So that's yeah, pretty, exactly. Pretty good yeah. uh, proposition. Okay. Yeah. Well, so hopefully we'll see. Um, I'm I'm definitely excited about about what you're telling me and uh, the prospects for for more to to see more seaplanes around because I think they I'm I'm a big fan of seaplanes as well so <laughs> yeah I hope I hope <laughs> that too. that becomes true. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny too. I, I, I sit here and I talk all day about seaplanes being, you know, a viable mode of transportation and da 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 da. The reality of it is, too, honestly, Mikhail, right? They're just, they're, they're amazing. Like, you're yeah. landing in the water, right? You're going yes. from being a, a plane to being a boat. And it's a unique experience. And I'm talking too much from the business side of the house, right? But from the experience, you, you experienced it, you didn't get the, the yep. land water with this, but that's just such a, you know, an amazing experience. And even when I'm riding in the back and, the minute we touch down the water, it's just, uh, it just never gets old, you know? And, and when people experience it, they always say, Oh, I never want to fly on a land aircraft again. Cause it's just, it's just something else. Yeah. You know, and there's and, a joy associated with yeah. it. Too. And I would, I would recommend um, to everyone and go check your website and your, also you have some uh, really cool pictures there, I think on social media and where yeah. you can, they can see some really cool pictures of, of seaplanes in the Bahamas and, Another yeah. location, it's, so yeah. Instagram at Flytropic. Yeah, yes. and Flytropic.com's website. And, and your yeah. website, can you um, say your website URL so yep. that people can it's, go and it's check it? Flytropic.com. Mm-hmm. Great. So, well, uh, now everyone knows uh, you can go check it out. And if you happen to travel to one of the areas where they operate, do not hesitate. To, uh, yeah, please come see us. <laughs> <you play. laughs> yeah. Very good. Well, yeah. Rob, it's been great having you here on the podcast today. And yeah. always- thank you very much. I appreciate the interest and in, in the great conversation. So thank you for having me. A pleasure.